Good morning, church. It is good to be back with you. I hope that you've had a great week this week, and we're excited to be back in the Word. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6 as we finish up today, um, but I, my prayers are that you're safe. May we never think that the existence of our Christian walk uh, happens when we're in this building, but we should be walking and living for Jesus every day. Uh, listen, we had uh, one of our hometown boys yesterday had the opportunity to throw out, uh, not just throw out a pitch, but to pitch uh, to begin his career uh, in the Major League Baseball, and I saw yesterday where they had won. But as we get back to some sports, and there are some regularities that are beginning to take place, you know, I don't know about you, but there have been some times that I've, I've left or I've turned off the TV when I thought the game was over, only to learn later that the game wasn't over. Maybe you've been like that. Maybe, maybe you've gotten up in the middle of a movie and you've, you've left or uh, only to find out later there was something near the end of the movie that you, that you missed out on. And listen, I don't want you to miss out. So I am glad that you're here today as we finish up with what Paul had to say as he was speaking to the believers there at Galatians. It's going to be a good time. Um, we're in that last part. And what Paul has to say to us is extremely, extremely valuable. Last week, uh, we talked about some of the enemies that we face that we deal with, that, that, um, that presses against us in reference to, to community. And then we talked about some of the responsibilities that we have. And today we're going to see what Paul has to say is so valuable to us as we open up his word and he finishes up his letter. And this is what Paul has to say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. Are you ready? Take out your Bibles. Make sure you've got that. I want you to have a device, a copy of the written word. What, this, what does the song say? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Uh, that is really important. I pray that you've got your copy today and you're ready to read the Word. But this is how Paul starts out as he begins uh, willing his way down towards the end. Paul says this in verse 11, chapter 6 there in Galatians. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Now, it wouldn't have been unusual for somebody to have been pinning the words of Paul throughout, but it's almost like Paul has said, look, give me the pen and let me finish this thing up. Over the years, I have dictated some letters and I'll have a secretary bring in to me and she'll want me to sign it, uh, to put my John Henry on it. And, and a lot of times in those, those letters, I just don't sign it, but I, I, I write out a little note on the, on the side saying, look, let me just, let me say a few words personally to you. And it's like Paul is doing somewhat the same thing here. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. There are others that say the reason that Paul was, was saying this is because it was sort of an apology because of his handwriting was so bad. And it could have been bad because of all the abuse and the persecution that Paul had experienced in his life with Christ. I mean, can you imagine I mean, here it was, this is a man that had been shipwrecked. This is a guy that had been beaten multiple times for his faith in Christ. And maybe what Paul is saying, look, I'm writing large because I can't, I can't really write well. Or maybe he was writing large because of his poor eyesight. I understand what that's like. I mean, if it wasn't for glasses, and sometimes I have to take my glasses off just to be able to see. But maybe that's why he was writing but this is what I think Paul is saying if you really want to get down to it. I think Paul is saying, look, what I'm fixing to tell you, I want you to understand the importance of it. 
I want you to understand that what I'm telling you, I want you to, to take out. If they would have had a highlighter, this would have been one of those places they wanted to, to use that highlighter. If they would have been typing in bold, this is the place that they would have wanted, wanted to use that bold font. Because of the importance of what Paul was getting ready to say. And he would share to those from whom he was writing. He's going to tell them what was at the center of his, of his heart. He was going to share with them in these last few verses what it was that, that motivated him, what he lived for. But not only what Paul lived for, but eventually what he would, he would die for. So if we go back to the beginning of the book of Galatians, we, we remember whom he was writing and why he was writing. He was writing to those Galatians, those that were believers that had come to Christ on that first missionary journey. And just as a side note, the letters that we find in the New Testament, they're all what they call situational letters. They were written by a person or group of people. They were written to address a specific group of people uh, about a specific situation. And here's Paul writing back to the believers that, that he and Barnabas had, in, had encountered, those that had come to, to profess Christ, not just Jews, but also those Gentiles. And he's writing to them. Here he is as a, on his missionary journey, and they get back. And after they get back, they realize, word gets back to them that those that had come to know Christ had been, had been addressed by this other group of people that were, that, were, that were different. They brought a different gospel, a different message. And, and after Paul and Barnabas had got back, they made a decision that they were going to write back to these guys that they had come in contact with, these guys that had, had made decisions, those that, that had come to know Christ. Because those that were now approaching them were beginning to put doubt in their minds. And they were saying things like, you know, Paul, you know, he shared with you the truth, but he didn't share with you the whole truth. I mean, it's okay. It's all right to follow Jesus. But you want to make sure that you are circumcised and you want to make sure that you follow the, the law and, the, and go back and you practice the festivals and the, and the feast. I mean, the conversation might have went something along this line. Listen, guys, I want you to know that the reason that we're sharing with this with you is, is because we love you. And we just don't want you to miss out. But I want you to hear what Paul had to say there in, in verse 13 as he continues on. And he's going to bring together to the surface some things that were really going on in the heart. He's going to expose the heart of these, these Judaizers that were speaking to these new believers. And he's going to talk, I mean, bring it to light what the real motivation behind their efforts were. And look at what Paul has to say there in verse 12. He said, those, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised, he's talking about the Judaizers. He said, those that are trying to force you to be circumcised, and here's the motivation. Listen to what Paul has to say as the driving force behind them. Listen to what he says. I mean, on the outside, it looked as if they cared. On the, on the outside, it looked like they were concerned. But Paul said, no. Paul said the truth was they want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for the teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. Paul said, look, I mean, they're claiming that the reason that they want you to be circumcised and hold on to the law is because, man, they really want you to be saved. And they want you to know that they care. But there were some other motivating factors. 
In the first one, they were fearful. Man, they were fearful of being persecuted. They were fearful of the, the others. To give you a little bit of background, the Judaizers would have probably made their way from Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, there would have been several different sects or groups of, 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 uh, of, of those who followed Judaism. But they, were, they had little bitty, little bitty differences in, in what they believed. And so they would divide out. Sort of sounds like today, doesn't it, with denominations. And so they had these little groups that had formed, and maybe you've heard them, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the Essenes or the Zealots. The Judaizers was another group. And so here it was, you've, you've got these various groups. And the Judaizers were a group that believed that they taught a combination of not only God's grace, but also that there was effort that was involved. There was, there was obedience to the law, that we had something that we had to do. That word Judaizer comes from a Greek word that means to live according to the Jewish customs. And you know, it was, it was okay to be a part of a group as long as they practiced circumcision and obedience to the law. And when Christianity came in, it was sort of put off on the right side over here as being heresy. And it was different than mainline Judaism. But what was going on is here is Paul. Paul was out preaching the gospel. People were coming to know Christ, both Jews and Gentiles. They were coming, they were coming to Christ. And But you've got the Gentiles that, that aren't being circumcised. You've got the Jews that had already been circumcised. They were obedient, obedient to the law. They were obedient to the law. But these Gentiles that were coming to Christ, it wasn't part of their culture. They hadn't been raised that way. They didn't understand. They weren't being circumcised. They weren't obedient to the law. They weren't practicing the feast and the festivals. They didn't understand it. They didn't know about it. It wasn't part of, of their upbringing. And here you've got the words and the testimonies of those coming to Christ, making their way back to Jerusalem. And those non-believing Jews would have said to the Judaizers, look, you better go fix this. See, see, you talk about your Messiah and the hope that he brings, but look at all this confusion that he's causing, your crucified Messiah. I mean, he leads people to break the law and ignore the traditions of our fathers and our forefathers. And there was this pressure that they felt. And they were afraid. These Judaizers were afraid of being ostracized and put on the out, outskirts. And they were also afraid of being kicked out. So it's hard to imagine these Judaizers going behind Paul and trying to cover themselves by. It's not hard for them to, to, to see them going behind Paul and trying to fix things. Talking to these new converts and saying, look, look, I understand what Paul said. But look, you got to do this and you got to do this and you got to do this. But it was by faith in Christ. Nothing else. Nothing more. And yet you have the motivation of fear behind their actions. And Paul said, look, man, I, here's some last words. Let me just tell you the truth. Let me really tell you. Let me really tell you what's going on. Before, but before you go and before you start getting on these Judaizers, what is it that motivates you? I mean, have you ever sat down and thought, what are some things that motivate you? Why do you make some of the decisions that you make? Why do you do some of the things that you do? I mean, it'd be easy for us to point a finger at the Judaizers and condemn them. But why do you do what you do? Has fear ever motivated you? Have you ever followed the crowd because you were fearful of being made fun of or left out? 
Have you ever done something that you probably shouldn't have done out of fear of rejection or being persecuted? Has there ever been a time in your life that you were afraid to talk about Jesus when you felt the need to talk about Jesus, but you didn't want anybody picking at you? Have you ever been fearful to speak the truth in love? Have you ever been fearful of going to a brother in Christ who was struggling and you didn't want to confront them out of fear of how they may respond to you? And Paul goes on to say this in verse 13. He says, And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. (laughs) He's talking about the, you know, they're talking about the law, the, you know, the the Pharisees and the others. They don't even, they don't even obey the law to the fullest extent. They only want you, he's talking about the Judaizers, they only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. So we saw the first motivation was fear, fear of being persecuted. And look at what he said the second motivation is. The second motivation of what? Pride. Paul was saying, look, the Judaizers really don't care as much about you as you think that they do. They just want you to be circumcised so they can say, look at us. (laughs) You know, look at us. Think about this conversation in the light of the 21st century church. Think about some of the conversations that we have when we're with other Christians. When pastors, when those of us that are pastors or church people are together, the conversations that we have about what you're running, what's your budget, when you're building something new, how many people you baptized. <laughs> Listen, and those are great conversations, but what's the motivation behind it? What's the significance of that? Listen, I'm all for people coming to know Christ. I'm all for people being baptized. I'm all for, man, building buildings to reach people. I'm all for people filling up buildings and being overflowing and having those conversations about what God is doing. But is it it really about God or is it really about us? Paul is saying their hearts, their hearts aren't right. See what's at the center of their heart is really about themselves, self. At the core of the Judaizers of their heart, it was the approval of others. It was the approval of others. It was an identity, listen, that threatened the Gentiles of coming to Christ. At the core, they wanted approval. And that identity threatened the Gentiles coming to Christ through Paul's ministry. And the Judaizers thought that they could could get these new Gentiles, if they could just get them to listen, to listen, and in a way, in a sense, become Jewish, to be circumcised, and to practice the law, then the other Jews would just, man, you guys are awesome. Man, you guys are great. You guys did it. Think about this for a second. If that's our driving force, the praise of others, and self being at the center, and the praise of man being what's most important. Let me just say this. We will always struggle in this world to make an impact for eternity. Think about that. If the approval of man is always at the forefront of of our decision-making, we will struggle in this world 
that which is temporary to make an impact for eternity. Well, in contrast to the Judaizers and what they were preaching in their heart, look at what Paul has to say in verse 14. As for me, in other words, guys, I've told you about their heart and what seems to be the, in their motivation, the fear of persecution, the pride, putting themselves out front. Paul said, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Simple. Paul said, you know, I don't have anything to talk about, guys, except for the cross. I don't have anything else to talk about except for Jesus and what he did. I mean, it's, un- it's very difficult for us to understand the significance of what Paul is saying because the cross over the years has become very fashionable. I mean, we, we wear them around our neck and we, we wear them on our hat or we, we put them on our T-shirt. We, we wear earrings that have crosses. But during the times of Paul, it was anything but fashionable. As a matter of fact, during the times of Paul, leading up to Paul, and even for a little time after Paul, the cross was a symbol of suffering. The cross itself was a symbol of, of pain. It was Paul that said in 1 Corinthians, as he wrote to the believers there, he said this, to the Jews it's a stumbling block, to the Greeks it's foolishness. It was Tacitus that said this, the Roman historian, the orator, who said it was a despicable death. Cicero, another orator, historian, said this. He said it was the most cruel and horrifying death. See, there there wasn't anything spiritual. There wasn't anything artistic. There was nothing fashionable about the cross during the times of Paul. C.S. Lewis said this in reference to the cross. It did not become common in art. Listen. Listen to what he said. It did not become common in art until all who had seen a real one died off. And yet here's Paul saying that the only thing that I can boast of is the cross of Jesus Christ, my Lord. The cross was not only a way for pain to be inflicted, for suffering to be experienced, shame and embarrassment, but the end goal was death. And yet here's Paul saying, The one thing that I boast of is the cross of Jesus. I mean, it may be strange in our world to think about boasting as being something positive, especially when we're told not to boast, but the world, because that word boast means to puff up, to puff up in speech and pride is condemned over and over and over in the scriptures. We know that it's what separates us from God. It was one of the things that the Judaizers dealt with. And yet Paul is saying, listen, boasting in the Lord is actually boasting of the Lord, boasting of his attributes, his love, what was demonstrated on the cross, not only what Christ did, but what he had promised to do. And Paul says, listen, I boast in the cross of Christ. It's my single passion. It's what drives my purpose It's the one thing that I cherish. It's my single goal. It's my focus. One thing that I'm most passionate about. One thing that I most rejoice in. But what about you? What are you most passionate about? What do you seem to talk about the most? Jesus? Jesus? 
The cross? What is it that you boast in? Is it your education? Is it your family? Is it your talents? Is it your abilities? Is it the, the position that you hold at work? Is it your financial status? Is it your work ethic? What is it that you boast in the most? And Paul said, the only thing that I can boast in is the cross of Christ. You know, it's the cross that reminds us of, of some things. You know what the cross reminds us? It reminds us of the ugliness of sin and the price of sin. There have been numerous studies done over the years, and as of late, they really haven't changed. Most people believe that they're inherently good, and they'll go to heaven when they die. There may be some of you listening to me today, and, and you think the same thing. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl, at least better than other people that I know, even people that go to church all the time. But when we stand and we place ourselves in the position to see the cross, and in light of the cross, we see the holiness of Christ, all of a sudden we begin to recognize our sin and just see how dirty we are, as well as the price that Jesus paid. The cross not only reminds us of how ugly and how sinful we are, but look at also what it reminds us of, the depths of God's love and how far, that, how far he was willing to go to pay the price for our sin. I'd heard a story years ago, and I was reminded of that story even this morning. The little boy, young boy, who had a newborn brother who was born, and he was born with a, a very dangerous blood disorder. And after he was born... Um, there was really only one way that this young brother, this newborn baby, would survive, and it would be with a blood transfusion. And they had found that this young child that was the older brother of this young baby had the type of blood that could be used to do a transfusion. And so in the best way possible, they gathered in a room, and the doctors explained what needed to be done. It wasn't hopeless by any means. It was a simple procedure but it would be life-saving for this little child, this little newborn baby. And so they, they sat down as a family, and mom and dad sat down with their, their, their young son, and they told them exactly what was, what was happening. And they, they said, I want you to know that, you know, your little baby brother is, is, is struggling right now, that he's got a, a very rare blood disorder, and, and without your help, he won't survive. And so they said... If you're willing, what we'd like to do, the doctors would like to do a blood transfusion. It will help him live. And this little boy, he contemplated for a while and contemplated for a while and finally he said, okay, okay. The day came for this procedure to take place and they prepared little baby brother here and the older brother here and they began to hook them up and and uh, in, in the beginning of the process, they noticed a little tear rolling down his face. And they said, honey, what's wrong? And they said, well, how much? He said, well, how much longer? And they said, honey, what, what do you mean, what, how much longer? They said, well, mom, they're fixing to take my blood and give it to, to little Johnny. How much longer do I have to live? 
And they recognized that what this little boy had been contemplating the whole time wasn't a blood transfusion in the simplicity of it. He was contemplating the difference between life and death. (laughs) And yet that's exactly what our Heavenly Father did. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life. And it was at the cross that we see the pinnacle of God's love, the magnitude of God's love when Jesus himself was willing to go to the cross to suffer on our behalf to become a sacrifice for our sins so that we might live. And it was there on the cross, it was there on the cross that he would endure and suffer what was the most beautiful, physically agonizing, anguishing, experience and it was Paul that said I don't have anything to boast about except the cross of Christ all I will boast about is the cross the cross of Christ and Paul was saying it's the cross that's at the center of my life Paul would say listen it's at the Christ the cross it's at the center of what I brought to you it's the cross It was the center of the message that I I preached to you. It was Paul that said in 1 Corinthians, I have decided that while I'm with you, I'll forget everything except Jesus, the one who was crucified. I remember back to September, the date was September the 8th, 2003. It was about 11 o'clock at night. Um, And when you get those phone calls as a pastor at 11 o'clock at night, it's not always good. And this night, it wasn't good. There had been an accident. It was the principal that was calling. And he said, Sid, can you meet me at my office? We got a tragedy. When I arrived at school, there was myself, the athletic director, the head football coach, huddled in a room. And we learned that two young men had been in an accident. At least one of those young men had been killed. Immediately, the other one was hanging on for his life. And I remember sitting and, and talking with those administrators and those leaders talking about what do we do. And, and after praying with them, um, the head football coach and myself, the administrator, the principal, we drove over to the young man's house um, that, had been, that had been killed in this accident. And, and we spoke for a few minutes with the family. And, and then I took the head football coach and we drove to the hospital where the trauma unit where this other young man that was still alive was at. Let me just say this. Um, there were a lot of conversations that took place between that house and that hospital where that young man was, where that head football coach. You know, that's what death does. Death brings about conversations that we aren't, maybe are uncomfortable to have or maybe we're not used to having or need to have, but we don't want to have. And there were a lot of conversations that took place that night in that, in that trip between where we were to where we were going and on the way back. The next day, I took the head football coach and we went over to visit the mom. And uh, we spent some time with the family there in, in the house. And she asked me at the end, she said, um, Pastor Sid, we've, we've got to make some decisions. And I... I I need to ask you a question. And I said, well, Christine, what is the question you need to ask me? And she said, 
will you do Willie's funeral? And I said, um, I just paused for a moment and I thought to myself, because a lot of times you have to think to yourself, what is it they want you to say? I mean, there are other people that knew this young man a whole lot better than I did. Um, and I, I sit and I thought for a minute and I looked at her and I said, Christine, you know, I, I would be honored to do that. I said, but I want you to know something and I need to tell you right now. Honey, I don't have anything else to talk about except Jesus. And if you want Jesus to be talked about, we're good to go. If there's something else you're looking, because I don't have anything else to offer at this time. Because there's no other, other hope. Because it's at the cross that we not only see the ugliness of sin, but also the beauty and the depth of God's love. To the world, the cross was also a symbol of, um, to us as believers, the cross is also a symbol of victory and hope. You know that old song, Oh, Victory in Jesus? Victory in Jesus. Yeah. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. Yep. That's right. Victory in, in Jesus. The core conviction of these Judaizers was the need for approval of man to be significant and secure. But in contrast to Paul, Paul's conviction was the cross is all I need. Look at what he says there in verse 14, the last half. Because of the cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has died. Paul was saying all these other things that have a, a tendency to want to pull us down, to draw us down, to distract us. He said, Paul said, look, I don't need it. I know what it's like to have and I know what it's like not to have. All that other stuff that's of temporary, that's holding me down, distracting me, I don't need it. I don't need other people's approval. I don't need the world's recognition. I don't need the comfort, nor do I need the security. Because I have everything I need in Jesus. Because he's my victory and he's my hope. I don't have to struggle for, I don't have to struggle for control. Because I know who's in control. What about you? Who's, it, who's in control? What is it that sets at the core of your life? What is it that motivates you in your decision making? Is it the approval of man or is it the cross of Christ? You know, if we believe like Paul did, and I, this is going to get up in your business, all right? It's going to get up in my business. But you think about this. Because if we believed as Paul believed, we'd probably be talking a whole lot less about a virus and more about Jesus. We'd probably be talking a whole lot less about whether to wear a mask or not wear a mask because would it matter? We were sitting around the lunch table the other day, conversations, statistics that are driving everybody crazy. Who's got it? Who's getting tested? What are we going to do? When we're going to be able to open the church doors, all the conversations that you hear, you know. 
And uh, somewhere, somewhere in the midst of all of that, I remember Sheila saying, can we just talk about Jesus? Let's just talk about Jesus. Get all that other junk behind us. Because when we have the conviction and we're motivated by what Paul said and Jesus is at the center, we want to talk about Jesus. If we truly believed that Jesus was all we need, we'd spend less time talking about the temporary and more time talking about eternity. We'd spend less time trying to talk about a cure for corona and we would talk about the cure that we have for sin. Jesus. The freedom that's available to every person. We're worried about the coronavirus, but then we have people all around us that are filled with sin and dying and lost and headed for an eternity separated from God. And yet we're more concerned about a coronavirus than we are the people around us that we should be caring about. Why? Because if we cared about the cross and the cross was center of our life, we'd care about those around us. We would be concerned about those around us. When's the last time you engaged another person in a conversation with the purpose of sharing God's love and the hope that we find in Christ? If you haven't, why? Maybe Jesus isn't at the center. Maybe Jesus isn't your motivation. You might say, well, Pastor said, I'm afraid. I'm fearful. Because I, I, see, I'm not afraid of other people. I'm just afraid that they may ask me something that I don't know or I, I don't have enough information about. Listen, all you need to know is one thing. <laughs> just one thing. And that's what you need to know. Make a note. Memorize this. Write it down. Put it in your phone. Put it in your Bible. I'm going to give it to you. Here it is. Jesus is all we need. He's all we need. Jesus is all we need. During this time of uncertainty and where, man, things are crazy, it's Jesus. In the midst of the questions and all the unanswered, in the worry and the anxiety, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And Paul goes on to conclude by saying these words. It doesn't matter where, uh, whether we have been circumcised or not. We can brag about a lot of different things. Look at what I did. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what my plans are. Doesn't matter whether or not you've been circumcised or not. Look what Paul says, what counts is whether or not we have been transformed into a new creation. Have you been born again? Because when you meet Jesus, when you meet Jesus face to face and you stand in the presence of the cross and you humble yourself and you cry out to him and you trust him, when you know Jesus, there's change. There's change that takes place. There's change. Paul goes on to say, may God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. You need to rem remember that. They 
are the new people of God. And from now on, don't let anybody trouble me with this junk. In other words, you say, man, I'm tired of talking about it. I've told you the truth, either believe it or don't believe it. Listen to what I'm saying or disagree, it doesn't really matter, but I'm done talking about it. I don't want to talk about it no more. For I bear on my body the scars that I show that I belong to Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Can I give you one last thing about the cross? One last thing. One last thing in reference to the cross is a symbol of invitation. Think about that. It's a symbol of invitation because you don't have to run, you don't have to hide, but at the cross we're invited to trust Christ and to take hold of the freedom that comes through the cross itself. Regardless if you like it or not, You've got to respond to it. I mean, either you're going to accept it or you're going to reject it. I mean, there is no, it's, not, it's unavoidable. I mean, there's no way to get around it. Either you're going to choose to believe it or choose to reject it. And just as it was with the disciples when Jesus first invited them, he tells us the same thing. Come follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, it's an invitation that is open to every person. And it wouldn't be surprising to me if there were some of you that were sitting under my voice today that you have never made, accepted that invitation to follow Jesus. I mean, you've gone to church. You maybe grew up going to church. You go to church. I mean, you're a casual Christian. I mean, you, you mean you're, you're culturally a, a, a Christian. You do Christian-type things. But you've never been to the cross You've never been at the place of recognizing your sin. You've never been at the place of recognizing the depth of God's love. But today you have the opportunity to stand in his presence, to kneel before the cross and to recognize the significance of it. And just like Paul say, I have nothing else to live for or to boast of except for the cross of Christ. Today, if you've never trusted Christ, you have the privilege right there where you are to say yes to Jesus, to recognize that that invitation that Jesus gave his disciples when he walked upon this earth is the same opportunity that each one of us have. Come follow me. Are you willing to confess your sins? Are you willing to believe that Jesus died on a cross for our sins, to pay the price of our sins so that we could live in freedom? Are you willing today to commit your life to Christ? Right there where you are, you can make that decision. You can pray and pray something along this line. Jesus, man, I have made a mess of my life. But today, today, I want to trust you. Today, I want to trust you. And if that's you, in the simplest of forms, just tell him that. Jesus, I want to commit my life to you. I want to follow you. If that's you, and today I, I would love to know that that's where you are, and I would love to be able to, for us to be able to communicate with you and share some resources 
You can text us there, and I believe that they've got a text number that you can text us, that 352-358-7770. Text us to let us know and just text the word decision. Because I would love for us to be able to respond to you to help you in these, in these days as you begin this new walk in Christ. I want you to get connected to some other people. Even though, listen, even though we, we may not be in a, in a physical building gathered, what a great day for the church to be extended and be enlarged. You contact us and let us connect you with a, another group, a small group that's meeting for the sole purpose of encouragement, spiritual growth, and accountability. I want you to, guys, as we close up today, I want you to be in prayer for Melvin as, as he and his family as they begin new ministry down in the Tampa area. And pray for us next week. Brian Broom and his family will be with us on their first Sunday, and we are looking forward to celebrating and, and beginning this new chapter in our church family's life. The Judaizers, fearful, prideful. Paul said at the center of my life, what motivates me is the cross. What is it that motivates you? Can we pray? Father, thank you for this day, for the opportunity of listening to your word, for it to be talked about, for it to be digested, for it to be applied. Help us to be like Paul, for the cross to be central in our life, to be the motivating factor is the cross of Jesus. May we not be like the, the Judaizers, but help us to realize how easy it is to fall into that trap. I pray for those of us that are believers that are listening to my voice that we would really have a self time of self-examination. What is it that motivates us? I pray for those that are listening to my voice that have never come to the place of trusting Jesus, that even today they would recognize the significance of the cross, the ugliness of sin, the price of sin, the depth of God's love, and the freedom that we're offered in Jesus. I pray today that we would see it as a symbol of victory and hope, and today we would cry out to you in the midst of this invitation time, and we would say, I will. I will. Thank you, Father, for the reading of your word. May the peace of God which passes all understandings, may it guard our hearts, our souls, and our minds in Christ Jesus. And may we as the body of Christ be excited about walking outside Outside in our everyday lives as, as best we can in this situation that we find ourselves and finding every opportunity we have to be your hands and feet in this world in which we live. Help us to be very intentional of how we serve and how we love one another. Help us to be your ambassadors as we live out a heritage of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.